I mean, the Obama administration appears to be pretty serious about bringing people to trial. Um, and that would be an enormous, enormous step forward. I mean, to, you know, to, to be able to fairly convict uh, someone like KSM in a federal court is to show that, that our rule of law is more powerful than their homicidal barbarism. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. East Coast meets West Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with leading experts in the legal profession. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com and produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. My co-host Bob Ambrosi is actually in sunny Florida, enjoying the uh, warmth instead of the cold up north. Uh, I read a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. Well, today's show is the challenges and changes that have occurred from President Obama's entering office. He and his administration have quickly implemented a number of changes in a lot of categories, including the closing of Guantanamo and transparency in government. In a draft executive order, President Obama pledged the humane treatment of detainees and an end to torture, along with closure of the prison. He officially signed an executive order to shut it down within the year and set up a review board co-chaired by the Justice Department and the Pentagon, among other agencies, to sift through the evidence in each individual case. While there's been some praise to President Obama's decision to close Guantanamo based on basic human rights issues and constitutional rights, critics have been questioning his swift action, and which begs the other question is, what now with the detainees? Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we'll take a look at the legal implications surrounding the closing of Guantanamo, discuss the fears of critics and the future of the detainees. Our guest today is returning guest attorney Aziz Huck, deputy director from the Brennan Center for Justice at New York University's School of Law. Mr. Huck is counsel in several cases concerning detention and national security policy, including Omar v. Guerin and Munaf v. Guerin, which are challenges to the U.S. citizens' detention in Iraq. He's advised and spoken before legislators on issues related to separation of powers, excessive secrecy, and illegal detention. Welcome back, Aziz. Hi, it's good to be back. Great. Well, there seems to be kind of a basic uh, three-part analysis that we should probably give our listeners first to talk about uh, the categories that these detainees have been put into, and ultimately what's going to happen with them. Can you give us a breakdown of that? There are about now 245 to 50 detainees left in Guantanamo. Uh, Guantanamo uh, is um, not the only place, however, where there are detainees. There are also a significant number, somewhere around 600, in uh, Bagram Air Force Base, which is in Afghanistan. Uh, and there's also uh, one detainee who, um, caveat emptor, uh, 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 I'm counsel for, uh, who's detained by the military in the United States, Ali Almari. Um, the orders that uh, came down deal uh, primarily with Guantanamo. And there, there is an order that uh, uh, directs that within uh, one calendar year, Guantanamo shall be closed. 
Um, however, it, it says very little about what precisely will happen to any given detainee. Uh, the order envisages that there is a possibility for any given detainee of either transfer to another country, uh, perhaps for further custody. It's not, it's not actually clear from the, uh, from the executive order. Uh, or outright release, um, or uh, some form of criminal prosecution. Now, uh, while there have been military tribunals in Guantanamo, um, and uh, President Obama has ordered those tribunals to uh, stop their work, uh, a stop order that actually uh, came into contention today, um, it seems that the executive orders are um, directing uh, the government uh, to think about or to develop prosecutions not in the military tribunals, but either in the traditional federal court criminal justice system or in the, um, the, the military system under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, uh, which is used for court-martials now. Uh, but the important, uh, the important point is that there is uh, nothing in the order that directs any given person be released. There is nothing that directs that if uh, there is no evidence against this person, this is what will happen to them. There's no uh, decision tree laid out by the order uh, describing what, uh, uh, what, how any particular detainee will be treated. So there are an awful lot of questions that are in fact left over by the, um, uh, by the, by the order. Uh, and those questions, it seems, will be answered by an interagency task force that uh, President Obama has created, led by the Attorney General, that is supposed to report out on options for detainee policy and options about particular Guantanamo detainees within 180 days. Well, it doesn't appear from the news articles that I've seen that uh, Europe or many of the other countries seem all that thrilled about taking the detainees. No, there has been a um, there have been some countries that have an expressed willingness to take detainees. Some detainees, so Portugal is one of them. Uh, by contrast, Australia and New Zealand have said that they are uh, they are not going to take detainees. Um, I think that the reason um, a, a, a principal problem, a principal barrier to having other countries take detainees is the fact that we, the United States, have declined to accept into the country any detainees, including uh, those who even the federal government admits were seized incorrectly and have been wrongly held. So uh, in particular, there are a group of Chinese Muslims called Uyghurs, who um, it, is, it is abundantly clear uh, have been held wrongly from the, from the get-go, um, well now, uh, almost seven years ago, uh, and who the government has conceded ought to be released, but because they would be tortured if they were sent back to their um, country of origin, China, uh, they, they remain in prison in, um, in Guantanamo. Now, if, if we are unwilling, and, and the government has said we are not going to allow them to be brought to the United States, to the mainland, if, we, if the United States is unwilling to accept from Guantanamo uh, a policy uh, decision, sort of the, a, a situation, a detention operation that was the sole responsibility um, and the sole, um, uh, you know, any blame or credit for Guantanamo lies at the U.S.'s feet. If we're not willing 
to accept people who are um, conceitedly innocent uh, and yet held at Guantanamo. If we're not willing to take those people, it seems to me unlikely that other countries uh, will step up to the plate to take people uh, who are whose status is more ambiguous. What was what is going to happen to the Chinese Muslims in that situation? Are they going to be simply released, uh, or are they? What kind of fate are they going to experience? Well, back in December, uh, Judge Urbina of the uh, D.C. District Court, um, who had their case, um, uh, held a hearing in which he said, "You know, well, what are we going to do here? You know, what are our options?" Um, and um, I mean, it's it's a quite extraordinary hearing to um, read the transcripts off because the government. Um, says, we're not going to bring them into the United States. We refuse to bring them into the United States. Um, Urbina keeps asking them, well, is that because they're dangerous? Is it going to, uh, will they cause a problem? The government sort of insinuates it, but, but uh, Urbina pushes them, do you have any proof? The government repeatedly says, you know, we, we don't have any proof, but, you know, we're, we're not going to let them in the country. There may be, there may be a danger. And finally, Urbina um, says, you know, you, you're, you're making excuses. There is no reason to continue to hold people who are conceitedly innocent. Uh, beyond the, the the six plus years that they've been held, I ordered that, that that they be brought to the U.S. The government immediately sought a stay of that order in the D.C. Circuit, which is, as, as um, many of your listeners will know, quite conservative court of appeals. Uh, they obtained that stay, and the uh, the Uyghurs um, are still sitting in Guantanamo. They're still sitting in a in a prison. Um, you know, so. However much good the um, Obama executive orders have done, they have done nothing of practical utility for, for that group of people who um, everyone concedes ought not to be in Guantanamo. What's the basis for the government's argument that they're not obligated to try uh, the detainees in either military tribunals or in, in our federal court system or in UCM, under the UCMJ? Well, I, I, I think what the Obama administration wants to do, I mean, they clearly want to close Guantanamo, and I think what they um, want to do is to um, either charge um, people who have committed wrongdoing. And there's no, nobody argues that you can't um, charge and uh, prosecute people who are in Guantanamo. Um, either charge them criminally and then secure convictions and, 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 and um, then impose punishment. Um, or release them to a third country. I think those are the, the those are the, the two options on the table. Um, where I think a lot of the attention has been focused in the policy debates is, is is the claim that there is some class of people who are quote unquote dangerous um, and who um, ca- cannot be prosecuted. Um, now this is this is a claim that is that is made uh, persistently, uh, generally without the benefit of any specific cases being. So this is a hypothetical that there will be somebody who is um, dangerous in some unspecified way um, and, um, and who cannot be prosecuted. Uh, there are a couple of problems with, with that argument, um, although I should say at first that, that the people who make that argument um, deduce from their hypothetical speculation the conclusion that we ought to pass a new statute that, that authorizes uh, preventive administrative detention. They essentially say, you know, Guantanamo is a huge problem. Uh, what we should do is create a new form of detention, but this time Congress should authorize it. So we'll have Guantanamo light, um, effectively the same kind of policy, uh, but just with a, a statutory stamp of approval. Isn't um, that essentially what we have in in Afghanistan? 
in, in Afghanistan, we have a situation where uh, there is um, active hostilities, and in some measure, the detentions in Afghanistan are related to the active hostilities. Uh, but in, in large measure, the people who are in Bagram are actually not people who've been picked up on, the, on a battlefield. They're people who've been seized in um, operations uh, far away from a battlefield, uh, sometimes uh, far away from either Afghanistan or Pakistan. Uh, there are now habeas cases on behalf of some of the Bagram detainees, one of whom I believe was arrested in Thailand um, and, and ends up in, in, in Bagram. Um, Bagram is very much like Guantanamo in that it's sort of a holding center for uh, global counterterrorism operations. And, and like Guantanamo, it has no uh, legislative sanction. There's no, there's no statute that authorizes it. Well, there is certainly a statute for prisoners of war. There is a treaty that allows uh, and, and provides rules for uh, the detention and handling of prisoners of war. But the um, Bush administration took the position that nobody who had been seized in, in the um, Afghan conflict or in other uh, uh, related conflicts, nobody was a, uh, a prisoner of war. They didn't fulfill the formal requirements that the Geneva Convention set forth. Um, so um, that Geneva Convention does not help us in either as a source of authority or as a, as a, as a framework for thinking through the problems posed by uh, the dissensions at Bagram. Re really, nobody has thought through the Bagram problem. Um, it, it's sort of out there and uh, is, I think, going to be a very hard question for the, uh, the administration to address. So is it really, is it fair to say that closing Guantanamo is merely a symbolic act because we really haven't solved the underlying problems yet? Um, I, well, I think that the underlying problem here is the fact that um, for the first couple of years after 9-11, uh, the administration undertook a policy where they simply seized people and uh, brought them to, to transferred them to Guantanamo and then interrogated them with uh, torturous or coercive methods in order to get them to confess. Uh, so what we have is a situation of um, overwhelmingly incorrect, um, unlawful detention. And what we need to do is to unwind that situation and bring any detentions that we are um, doing under the rule of law. The best way to do that is to um, release uh, as many people as possible and those who cannot be released to charge them criminally. Um, that's not easy in the sense that it takes time and effort and hard work to put together prosecution, um, put together diplomacy, particularly with Algeria and Yemen, where, which is the, where the majority of the remaining detainees are from. Uh, the, the reason that, that, that most of the people are still in Guantanamo is not because they pose a danger, but their countries will not take them back, or, or, or the U.S. Has, has fouled up the diplomacy with those countries. Um, so there are hard problems, but there's nothing that is insoluble. There's, that these are these are problems that competent professionals can work through. Why does Algeria and Yemen not want to take their their uh, countrymen back? Well, we what we know is that it was that for many other countries, including Saudi Arabia and Afghanistan, the United States has successfully negotiated arrangements whereby people are um, transferred back to their country and they're put through um, programs in Saudi Arabia. There's a very large de-radicalization program, which is meant to um, address any sort of, to, to identify people who may pose risk, to, fi to find ways of persuading them to, to, to shift their views. Uh, and by all measures, it's, it's, a, it's a relatively successful program. Um, you know, when transferring people back to um, Algeria and, and, and Yemen, uh, we don't have yet uh, arrangements for that kind of program, particularly in the case of Yemen. 
Um, and in the case of Algeria, we, we have um, ongoing problems about um, the fact that in the past, prisoners who have been moved back to Algeria from Guantanamo have disappeared uh, and are presumptively um, dead or, or, or imprisoned illegally in the Algerian uh, prison system. So that, that there are human rights concerns that are um, impeding the process of, of uh, transfer. Why not undertake that program for the eligible Guantanamo detainees and rehabilitate them and then release them to their... To well, this is, this, is, this is where the negotiations are getting gummed up. This is, this is what um, uh, the government has been trying to do with Yemen. And, and I think with Algeria, it's more of the human rights concerns. Um, and it's, 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 it's something where there was some diplomatic effort, uh, apparently um, uh, devoted to this under the Bush administration. Um, diplomacy, I, I think even you know, a, a supporter of the administration would say diplomacy was never their forte. Apparently, these negotiations did not go as well as they could have. And the hope is that with a new administration, uh, this will become a lot easier. Do you think that there's a significant, I mean, what, what's the government's basic thrust for not bringing these people to trial? It's just simply the dangerousness. I mean, you know, Iraq has tried Saddam Hussein. We do war crimes trials on a regular basis. It just, the argument doesn't really seem to hold a lot of water. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, and, and just, just be, be, be aware that the Obama administration has never said they can't bring people to trial. I mean, the Obama administration appears to be pretty serious about bringing people to trial. Um, and that would be an enormous, enormous step forward. I mean, to, you know, to, to be able to fairly convict uh, someone like KSM in a federal court is to show that, that our rule of law is more powerful than their homicidal barbarism. Um, and I think that there is a tremendous de- value in doing that because it delegitimates the position that, that people like KSM put forward. Um, the, the 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 barrier to it, or the or the problem, is that so, at least some of the evidence against somebody like a KSM has come from the fact of torture. And um, while as deplorable as that is, in fact, um, if somebody has been tortured, that does not mean they cannot later be prosecuted. It does mean that you can't use the evidence gained by the torture against them. And I think that's right and proper, not only for, for moral reasons, but because that evidence is untrustworthy. But you can certainly build cases against them around the other circumstantial and direct evidence that you have. And so for many of the people in Guantanamo, for KSM was, uh, has already been indicted um, in relation to the, uh, uh, an earlier terrorist plot. Um, uh, for somebody like um, the, uh, the, the alleged 20th hijacker, Al-Qahtani, uh, again, who was tortured? We know that he was waterboarded. Um, you know, there's an argument that well, we can't try him because he's been tortured. But actually, um, nobody has ever been able. Uh, there is, in, in all likelihood, sufficient other evidence that, that, that the federal government could proceed against him in criminal court um, and, and obtain a conviction, as we as we, as we did against um, Zacharias Mustawi. Um, there are certainly, therefore, problems, but there is no impediment. Uh, there is no necessarily fatal impediment, even again, in, in, in prosecuting people, even in those cases where the detainee has been tortured. What type of procedural law and substantive law, I mean, what country's laws apply to these detainees? Is it their native country, the United States laws? Is there an international criminal court that they're going to try these? What, what, how does it work? Well, there's U.S. law, uh, which um, much of the criminal law applies outside of the United States. 
um, particularly uh, anti-terrorism laws, which have been on our books since uh, the, the 70s. Uh, in the 90s, there were a series of laws uh, enacted um, between sort of 92 and 96 uh, under the rubric of material support, which would which also apply um, internationally. So there are, there are plenty of U.S. laws that apply. Um, uh, there are certainly, um, uh, in international law, concepts of crimes that are, um, uh, at least if you, if you follow the international law argument, um, that they can be prosecuted in, in any tribunal in any country in the world. Um, for example, you know, a, a Nazi, who, wherever they have picked up, because they have committed um, what colloquially one might call a, a crimes against the whole of humanity, um, it, it, is, it is presumed that, that many of their acts can be prosecuted in whatever court is available, right? And this is the same for torture. This is, this is uh, mass casualty terrorist attacks arguably fall into the same category. Um, so, so there are there are both domestic and international law norms that uh, are available to um, uh, to prosecute people with. Well, Aziz, we need to take a short break. When we return, we'll talk more about the legal implications of surrounding Guantanamo and our next steps. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. We're proud to tell you about a special legal podcast series called Legal Tips from the ABA Tort Trial and Insurance Practice section. It's all about creative approaches to old problems that arise in the practice of tort and insurance law. You'll hear about the TIPS Leadership Academy, diversity initiatives, and plans for the TIPS 2009 annual meeting. Legal Tips starts in February, right here on the Legal Talk Network and the American Bar Association websites. We hope you listen to one of our brand new shows here on the Legal Talk Network, In-House Legal, with attorney Paul Boyton, experienced in all things in-house. If you're interested in the top issues, news, and trends inside the corporate legal department, you'll want to listen to In-House Legal. Starts January 12th. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and listen now, download the show, or even better, subscribe to the RSS feed. It's free. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams, and I'd like to welcome back attorney Aziz Huck, who is the deputy director of the Brennan Center for Justice at New York University School of Law. My co-host, Bob Ambrosi, is out this week, and Aziz and I have been talking about closing down Guantanamo. And before we get back to that, Aziz, it seems to me that there have been some rumblings and some noise about uh, suing some United States citizens uh, in the government, high, including Rumsfeld and others, for uh, Guantanamo and war crimes and torture. How is that playing out? And how does that relate to closing down Guantanamo? I think it's a separate set of issues. Um, and I think there, it's best not to conflate those two. Um, there, there are a number of lawsuits uh, that have been brought either domestically here in the United States um, or overseas against 
uh, Rumsfeld and other senior officials by former detainees and the families of former detainees uh, for abuses of constitutional and human rights in Guantanamo. Um, so there is a case called uh, Rasul v. Rumsfeld that actually has been percolating in the federal courts for a couple of years now, uh, filed by the British uh, detainees who are held in Guantanamo and who are the subject of the, the movie, The Road to Guantanamo. Uh, they um, lost in the D.C. District Court, lost in the D.C. Circuit Court, and then had that loss reversed in the Supreme Court uh, by uh, just an order um, after the, the, the Supreme Court held in the Boumediene v. Bush case that there were um, constitutional rights available to those held in Guantanamo. Uh, there was also another case filed today um, um, by uh, uh, family members of people who had been detained, um, again, arguing that, uh, arguing that they were entitled to damages based upon what, what happened to their, their relatives. Where was that case filed? I believe that was also filed in the uh, in, in, in the D.C. District Court. Well, there's been some uh, comments, uh, surprisingly, by or perhaps not surprisingly, by Republican Senator John McCain, who said that uh, the, he agrees that the prison should be closed, but criticizes President Obama for not having first worked out the other issues, including what to do with the prisoners and some other things. What What are your thoughts about his criticisms? I, I think it's silly. Um, I, I, what What Obama has done and and uh, is to say, look, um, I intend to close this, and, I, I, and I'm giving the government a, a deadline. Um, and in the, the year that we have, we are going to work out those issues. That's an eminently sensible way to, to do it. Uh, in fact, um, Secretary of Defense Gates yesterday said that it, it made absolute sense uh, to, to, to approach things this way. The government needs a deadline. Otherwise, uh, like many of us, apparently it does not get things done. Uh, so, so all he has done is put a deadline on on the task, which will sharpen uh, people's concentration. It is a it is a promising promissory note to the rest of the world that we that, that we uh, that the United States intends to to follow through on its moral commitment. And um, it it, uh, it 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 he hasn't prejudged. He hasn't uh, completely addressed any of the uh, the hard questions that I think McCain is right are are still presented. But as I said, I think that those are questions that are addressed through hard work and um, uh, careful professional diplomacy and lawyering. Given the criticisms that have come from around the world uh, on Guantanamo and, it, and keeping it open for as long as we have without prosecuting the detainees, what role are other governments going to play in the decision-making on shutting down uh, Guantanamo other than simply taking the prisoners? Well, I, I think that they will be important in the uh, the role of negotiating. You know, countries like Yemen and Algeria are clearly important because they have to take prisoners. I, I think that you know, once you have a couple of European countries that step forward and say we will take a few prisoners, that has a tremendous um, uh, moral impact. And there are a class of, I believe, around sixty-five people who cannot be transferred to their their home countries, like the Uyghurs, um, and who require some third country to be resettled in. And to the extent that other countries are able to um, step up and be able to uh, to help in that task, I think that's tremendously useful. Well, Switzerland announced on Wednesday that it might be willing to take some uh, some detainees. Do you think this is the first of a domino effect? Well, well, before Switzerland, Portugal had made a similar statement. So I, I think we are starting to see, uh, you know, what you what you call a domino effect um, on this issue. And is there any possibility that any of these prisoners are going to be released in the United States? 
I, I, I would like to think that we would have the decency to, re- to, um, to bring to the United States people who have been wrongfully detained, um, like the Uyghurs, for six years and who, for whom there is no other safe place to go. Um, I, I, I think that that is a, a minimum decent thing to do. And I think that, the, that the, um, it is quite shameful that there are politicians out there who are willing to um, uh, have recourse to kind of a, a Willie Horton type uh, uh, hysteria in order to um, uh, to lobby against the, the the efforts to help these conceitedly innocent and 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 uh, deeply unfairly treated human beings. Well, I understand as well that there's some allegations that there's very little military intelligence evidence against these individuals. I mean, what was the basis for detaining them in the first place? Well, you, you have to recall that many people were detained in, in Afghanistan and Pakistan at a time when the United States was offering uh, bounties of approximately $5,000 uh, to um, people who handed in members of quote-unquote al-Qaeda or um, the Taliban. Uh, and so, um, but for many of these people, you, 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 there's really not much reason to believe that they are a... Uh, uh, a danger at all, uh, and that there was ever much evidence uh, uh, that justified their holding. Um, I, I think it's a slightly different story with a very narrow class of detainees, uh, including people such as uh, KSM, who have long been known to, to to play a role, to play a part in, in the Al-Qaeda operation. Well, there's been some, uh, probably predictably, outrage and uh, fear expressed by the members and, f- and families of those who were killed in 9-11 at the closing of Guantanamo. What do you think, Obama's, what, what do we say to them? Well, I, I, you know, I, I think, I mean, one thing that has happened is that you have two groups of um, 9-11 family members. I mean, one group has been, you know, as you say, sort of lobbying for... for um, Guantanamo's um, uh, being kept open. Um, another group, however, has has um, been quite forceful in saying, "Look, you know what we want is um, justice. We want vindication, and we we don't think that um, you know simply uh, throwing away into a Cuban jail a, a bunch of randomly selected people, some of whom may or may not have uh, a connection to Al Qaeda." Is justice. I think what you know they they argue that what's needed is is criminal trials, ending in sentences of guilt and real punishment, uh, so that there is a public vindication of, um, of of the wrongs that have been done to them and their family members. Uh, that you do that for the people who really are guilty and for the people who are um, innocent, you let them go. Uh, so I think that there are two sides of the story when it comes to the, even the nine eleven families. Well, Aziz, we've reached that portion of our program where it's time to wrap up and get your contact information. So if you could please give us your final thoughts and tell our listeners how they can reach you if they've got further questions on this. And I guess one thing that I'd like to ask as you close is where is a good resource for people that would like to get more information about Guantanamo? Is there any type of a a database or, or place where information can be found? Well, just kind of the similar to the issues that we've discussed in terms of uh, how do you get more information to be able to become more informed on this issue? Yeah, no, that's that's a very good question. I mean, I, I think that there are a couple of studies that have been done by a man called Mark Denbo, who's a professor at Seton Hall Law School, uh, that are interesting um, uh, and, and certainly worth looking at. And you can Google Mark Denbo, uh, and I think they're available at his, his website at Seton Hall also. 
Um, I, I, I think that the um, one of the, the better books on the topic is Joe Margulis's book, Guantanamo and the Abuse of Presidential Power, uh, which is available, which has been available now for a couple of years. Um, I, I think that the um, the SCOTUS blog site, which is on the web again, if you Google SCOTUS blog, you can find it, is a has been really quite good, uh, particularly recently, about reporting all of the developments in the litigation. And so it's a very good source for uh, just keeping abreast of, of what's actually a rapidly changing um, uh, uh, judicial framework. Um, you know, in terms of the, the Brennan Center site, and this is, I'll respond to your contact information question, the Brennan Center site, which is the, you know, you can contact me through that, is, is brennancenter.org, B-R-E-N-N-A-N, center, C-E-N-T-E-R, dot O-R-G. Um, that has a, a, a considerable amount of sort of the writing and analysis that we have done of detention issues in particular, um, although we have been focused on, uh, we represent um, a gentleman called Ali Almari, who is the only person detained in the United States as an enemy combatant whose case is currently pending before the Supreme Court. So there's a lot of information about that case. Uh, and if you're a reader or if your listeners are interested in detention issues, that's actually a uh, a, a case that, fo- that that frames and tees up uh, pretty, pretty acutely a lot of the core detention issues. Well, Aziz, thank you very much for being with us today. To our listeners, remember that you can find all of our Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes as well. And that wraps it up for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. All of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows can be found on LegalTalkNetwork.com. And again, thanks to Aziz Huck from the Brennan Center for Justice at New York University School of Law for joining us today. We'll be back again next week with another great legal topic. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.